Hi, love, and welcome to Listening to Your Gut. My name is Kelly Bluth, and I am a certified holistic nutritionist with a passion and purpose in this life to educate and serve others like you. As a woman with two autoimmune conditions, I have found the power in embracing a holistic lifestyle to support my overall well-being. In each episode, I will share inspiration, tips, or research-proven strategies that will help you to listen to your gut literally and figuratively. Together, we will work to honor our mind, body, and soul through holistic wellness. I am so pumped we are on this journey together. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Happy Memorial Day. And I just want to take a moment to thank all of those past and present that have served. But I know on this Memorial Day here in the United States, we're specifically honoring those who have lost their lives um, in service. And so I just want to say thank you to, again, past and present individuals who have served, but also those who are who have passed on and that we still celebrate and we still honor. So just wanted to share that before we get going. But today is um, is really, it's been a long time coming episode, I, I feel. Uh, I was laying in bed last night thinking about this topic and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to do this. I can't believe we haven't done this topic yet. And I actually <laughs> didn't want to get out of bed. I was too tired. And um, I told Jeremy, I was like, can you text me this like this little snippet of what I'm going to tell you. And so he wrote it down in a text and sent it to me because it was this episode and it jogged my memory to, to spark my intrigue into putting this episode together for you for today. So yeah, like I said, I, I can't believe we haven't done this yet, but we're here we are, we're, we're doing it. So this episode is going to dive into both what is a food allergen what is a and what is a food sensitivity slash intolerance, right? What's the difference between those two? We're also going to break down what those look like, right? And then we're also most importantly um, going to talk about how we can, you know, diagnose these, how we can find out if we have a food allergen or food sensitivity. But then even more importantly, on top of that, we're going to talk about which is in the headline, is in the title of this episode, why might we be experiencing more of these things, right? Why might we be either having ourselves more food allergies or more food sensitivities um, or just in general in, in the world, in society, why are we experiencing, why are we seeing more of this? Why is it becoming more prevalent? So we got a lot to tackle, but um, we're going to get to it all. We're going to get to it all. So let's dive in right now. So before we dive into the difference between a food allergy versus a food sensitivity slash intolerance, uh, I want to tell you these staggering statistics that are from the United States um, related to food allergies and food sensitivities. So there are approximately 26 million Americans that suffer from a food allergy and approximately 65 million Americans that suffer from food sensitivities. I am one of those that suffers from food sensitivities. And I wouldn't be surprised if you also are, you know, I just raised my hand on, on Zoom as I'm recording this for for those of you watching on YouTube, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you are also either in your head raising your hand or as you're listening, raising your hand um, too, just acknowledging that, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm right there with you, Kelly, right? So it's it's very common, unfortunately, these days. And we're gonna talk about why that, why that is, why that could be here in just a little bit. Um, but I want to dive into 
what the difference is between a food allergy and a food sensitivity. So a food allergy is going to be something that causes, it's food that causes severe symptoms, okay? Um, and it could be that you just touched the food. It could be that you um, ate the food on accident. And um, like I said, it could be the smallest amount, but it can cause really drastic, really devastating uh, symptoms to occur. So things like anaphylaxis, so closing of your throat that you can't breathe, right? Um, coughing, wheezing, itching, um, stuffy runny nose, watery or puffy eyes. And a lot of the, uh, or I should say the most common foods that we see people having food allergies to are things like eggs, milk, nuts, uh, fish and shellfish. And so um, those can cause really, really awful, right? Really, really awful um, effects on the body, which is why, you know, if you're a teacher like me, you always check your list to make sure at the beginning of the school year to see like, okay, what allergies do we have, right? Because it's it's very, um, it, it's something that we have to take seriously, right? And if you have a, a child or you yourself, um, have an allergy or you know someone, your family or a friend, you know how serious it can be. I mean, this this can really, you know, sometimes people need EpiPens to to get them out of um out of the symptoms, right? To help them recover um if they can't get, you know, immediately uh seen by by a doctor or they can't, you know, get rushed to the hospital fast enough because it can be, you know, life altering, life um life changing in terms of, you know, you could sometimes can get so serious that that people, you know, potentially um, could lose their life if if it's that serious. So it's not something to take lightly. But on the flip side, so, you know, food allergies, this really intense thing, right? Food sensitivities, while they don't have really great um, outcomes in terms of the symptoms, um, they're not life-threatening, okay? They're things that we're going to experience, but we can live with to an extent. It's not going to, um, it's not going to kill us. Right. So food sensitivities have a delayed response, which is why like for myself, if I were to have something that has gluten, cause I have a, a gluten intolerance or a gluten sensitivity, um, I don't experience that right away. Like when I, let's say I have a slice of pizza that is not gluten-free, it's not like I'm eating it and thinking, oh, I can taste the gluten. Like, yep, it's not making me feel good. No, it definitely doesn't happen that fact. It doesn't ask, it doesn't act that quickly. It takes, you know, it could take a couple hours up to even, you know, a day or two, depending on, you know, just how your body is is processing and, and where your body's at in terms of its its health state. Um, and so the symptoms that you experience are predominantly digestive related, but they're not all. So some of the symptoms that you might experience with a food sensitivity or intolerance are things like inflatulence, like like gas, right? Um, bloating, diarrhea, constipation. You might feel um, some stomach pain, some like stomach cramping. In addition, you might um, experience things in terms of your skin. So um, acne, rosacea, eczema, psoriasis. You might also experience weight fluctuation, um, weight gain, right? Water retention, um, decreased energy and lethargy. So you're just feeling really fatigued, right? And it's important to mention that these, that 
these food sensitivities, these, this food intolerance doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just wake up and, you know, voila, you have a gluten sensitivity, right? It, it happens over time. It's the more you're exposed to that and your body's unable to handle it, the, the more you start to notice it, right? Um, and so I want to go back to allergies again, because I want to talk a little bit about just the, the prevalence of it, the frequency of it. Um, so in the past about three decades, about the past 30 years, so essentially um, when I was born, roughly the time that I was born um, back in 1990, um, we have increased in the frequency of food allergies being diagnosed, um, which I don't think is uh, a surprise to most, at least it, it wasn't to me when I, you know, found this research. Um, and it's particularly in industrialized societies. So that to me also makes total sense because, you know, the United States is an industrialized society and we have so many toxins that we're exposed to, not only in the environment, but also in the past packaged processed foods that we either acquire or have from time to time, or, you know, just are exposed to, right? Um, but I also wanted to mention that when it comes to allergies, the allergies are caused by the immune system fighting substances in the environment. Um, and so it should see this, this food as harmless, but because our immune systems are weakened from all the toxins, all the exposure that we get from society, sometimes some of our bodies are more susceptible or more prone to these uh, developing these allergies um, because our our immune system becomes weakened and it, it starts to look at these foods as these foreign invaders right Th that are trying to attack the immune system even though they're not but that's what our body thinks um and so then on the flip side now we're going back again we're gonna go back and forth uh for a little bit here like ping pong but on, on the flip side, again, with sensitivities, food sensitivities and intolerance, um, intolerances, those are, those occur because there is some sort of an absence of a digestive enzyme that's going to help with that particular food or that particular nutrient that's in that food. Um, so for example, people who are lactose intolerant, they typically lack the lactase enzyme, which means they're unable to properly process lactose, which we often find in milk products, right? Um, when we think about FODMAPs, right, those have these fermentable sugars in them. Um, so people on low FODMAP diets are eating foods that are low in these fermentable sugars, right? And for for those people who are doing that, they're doing it be mostly um, because they lack the um, the digestive enzymes in that respect to process those fermentable sugars. So typically they need amylase, um, glucosamase, amylase, glucosamylase. Oh, that's a tongueful. So let's go back. There are several that, that we need and that people who um, can't pro properly process FODMAPs need. Um, and, and they don't. So if they are on a low FODMAP diet, it's probably because they are low in these enzymes. So let me try again, because <laughs> that was a mouthful. So they're typically going to be low in amylase, which is a digestive enzyme, glucosamylase, cellulase, lactase, and inversitase. Um, and these are all needed 
to help break down the fermentable sugars that are in FODMAP foods. And the FODMAP letters stand for different fermentable sugars. So I'm not going to go into those because I will definitely butcher those right now. Um, But those fermentable sugars um, end up in the digestive tract. They end up not being able to be processed effectively. And then that causes an imbalance in the gut bacteria. Um, and then can cause a whole host of issues, which is again, why some people will for a time, it's not good to be on a low FODMAP diet for forever. Um, I usually recommend that for no more than two to three months and then get off of it and see, start to reincorporate some foods that are not low FODMAP and see how you do with that. Um, so that's always what I recommend, but again, I'm not here to diagnose or treat or anything. So you know that. Um, another intolerance, I'm just going to go through a couple more intolerances that you might not have known, but I think they're, they're good to note. Um, another intolerance is a sucrose intolerance. That is also a sugar type of sugar. Um, and genetic sucrase, uh, isomaltase is an enzyme, uh, deficiency that people can have. It's diagnosable. And it causes sucrose, which is sugar, and starch, so grains, um, to be specific, to not be properly metabolized. So if you have a sucrose intolerance, it's mostly going to, it's not mostly, it's going to be because you lack this enzyme. um, And the sucrose intolerance is typically genetic. So meaning, you know, it's usually passed down. Um, but, but not always, it's definitely a genetic condition. Um, so it's much more likely that it could be passed down, um, you know, through generations. Um, and then fructose intolerance. So that's also sugar, right? We find fructose in most of our fruits, um, that it has in, it's called the Aldo B gene. So it's A-L-D-O-B gene. And that can cause um, a hereditary fructose intolerance if you have that. Um, And this makes this, if you don't have, um, or if you you have this gene, then you lack um, adequate amounts of this aldolase B enzyme, which is needed to break down fructose, which is found in most sugars, or excuse me, which is found in most fruits. I am all over the place today. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, that is just, that's another one, right? So sucrose intolerance, fructose intolerance, both sugar intolerances. Um, And then sulfite sensitivity is a deficiency in sulfite oxidase enzyme. And that breaks down the sulfites in foods like, which are things like dried apricots, canned fruits, wine, and cereals. Again, there are more than what I'm sharing with you right now. There are more intolerances, but these are just some of the most common that I wanted to share with you. I actually was tested for a sucrose intolerance and was found negative. Um, but you know that is something that you can test for, and we'll we'll talk about how you can do that here in a moment. So again, some of the most common intolerances are going to be, um, you know, the lactose intolerant, um, sucrose intolerance, fructose intolerance, sulfite sensitivity, um, and then FODMAP intolerance or sensitivity. And so, 
If you want to test for an allergy, so now we're going back to testing um, and thinking about allergies. If you want to test for allergies, you would typically go to an allergist office um, and they will place the allergens typically either, you know, on your back or maybe your arm. um, And they will then scratch your skin to allow that allergen to seep in underneath your skin to see if it triggers a reaction. I actually just did this. Um, I had allergy testing done because I wanted to make sure I wasn't allergic to um, some particular foods. And that was recommended by my gastroenterologist. And it turns out I am not allergic to any foods. So that's good. But uh, that is something that you can definitely do, and I would encourage you to do that, especially if you suspect maybe that you do have um, an intolerance, or I'm sorry, that you do have a, an allergy to some foods. And then the, the other thing I wanted to share is how you can check for food intolerances. So there's actually three main ways that you could do that. Um, one would be the hydrogen breath test. So um, if you have an increased amount of, of hydrogen on this test, that is going to tell you that you're improperly breaking down specifically sugars is what this one's looking for. Um, and the hydrogen breath test is really you just blowing into, um, it's usually like little glass vials and it's, I think it's two, two hours. I've done it two or three times now, so I should know. Um, but it's, you blow in every 15 minutes, you blow into a tube and then those get shipped off to a lab and they check to see what your levels of hydrogen are. And um, so basically, if if your hydrogen levels are elevated, it, it tells us that you are not breaking down sugars properly. So uh, the two other ways that you can test for food sensitivities or intolerances would be to do an elimination diet and then track using like a food diary, uh, which I've also done. And then you can also do a blood, hair, or mouth swab test, which I've also done. I have not done the hair or blood, um, but I have done, or no, I have, I'm sorry, I have not done the hair or mouth swab, but I have done the blood test um, to check for food sensitivities. I don't personally feel like it's 100% accurate. Um, But again, if you want something just to, if you're not using it to like totally commit yourself to like saying, oh my God, I have this intolerance, and you're just doing it just to see, you know, kind of big picture, like see what it comes up with, then I'd say go for it. But if you're like, I am going to like, this is going to be like the Bible to me, whatever it says, I'm going to cut out. I, I Then I would strongly discourage you from doing it because it can um, be misleading and um, not always accurate. So that's just my two cents on that. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is what you probably tuned into this episode for. So I'm saving the best for last, which is like, why on earth are we experiencing more of this, right? And I kind of alluded to some of it at the beginning of this episode, but it's environmental factors, right? That's one of them. So our environment specifically here in the United States, where we're very industrialized, our environment has so many toxins that our bodies just, you know, our our bodies can't handle all of that, right? And so our bodies are breaking down inside because they're trying to fend off, to to fight off, to ward off all of um, the the constant exposure that we, we are inundated with on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not. And 
you know, over time, the body can get tired of doing that and can can become weaker from doing that. And so we become more susceptible to food intolerances um, and food, food sensitivities, as well as we, we may develop a, a food allergy. Now, typically those are, um, you don't see a food allergy, you know, usually happening later in life. Usually it's early on, you know, early adolescence that you um, are made aware of that. Um, but that's that doesn't mean that it can't always happen, you know, in, in a different way. Um, we're at a later point in time. Another reason that we might be seeing um, allergy and sensitivity to foods, you know, constantly becoming on the rise is um, our hygiene over time has improved. And you might be like, well, what? wouldn't that be a good thing? I mean, it is, right? It's good that we are, are prioritizing that as human beings. But with that means that we are experiencing, you know, less infections than, you know, previous generations, previous, um, you know, centuries did, right? And so because of that, we're experiencing less, um, you know, like parasitic infections, which, um can lead our immune system to start trying to fight off things that are not harmful, like we talked about earlier, um, because it has less to fight off and it thinks that, oh, maybe this thing that you're eating is a foreign invader and it just doesn't know because it's been weakened, you know, again, going back to the environmental factors because it's been beaten down over time by the toxins and the, the constant exposure that we um, that we we give it each and every day, even though, you know, it may not be intentional, right? It's just, we can't get away from every single, um, you know, toxin in our, in our world, in our daily life. It's just, it's unavoidable. Um, and then an, another reason why we could also be experiencing more of these issues is most of us are not getting enough vitamin D. And by that, I mean, we're not getting out in the sun as much, right? There are actually some places in the world that like rarely ever see the sun, right? And so that's that's not good, right? Because we know that vitamin D actually helps to support the immune system. So if we want to be building up our immune system and making it better, we need to be doing things that are going to support it. One of those things is making sure we're getting sun exposure. But if you can't, making sure that you're supplementing with vitamin D, right? And you also want to make sure that you are supplementing vitamin D with a vitamin D that either includes K2 or that, um, or that has, or, or that you, you buy a K2 supplement because that will help you to more, to better absorb vitamin D. Um, so just a little, um, just a little side thing there for you in case you didn't know that. Cause I didn't know that for the longest time. And then again, my, my newest gastro gastroenterologist shared that with me and I was like, Holy cow. I mean, as a nutritionist, I didn't even, didn't even realize, um, how, how much of a benefit that could be. So I have since then started to incorporate uh, K2 with my vitamin D supplement. So yeah, just want to share that little tidbit with you too. Um, so that is the end of our of our episode today. Um, I just want to let you know that this upcoming month, June, I can't believe that it's almost June, we are going to have a sweet friend, Ashley Sitterding, coming in to do an EFT tapping session with our uh, amazing podcast community in the Facebook group. So that will be June 6th, which is a Tuesday. And it will be at 
8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So she'll be live in the Facebook group with us. Um, that will be the day after her episode with me releases. The episode has a little snippet, a very short EFT tapping session within it. She does it with me and leads me through it, which is incredible. So you definitely want to check that out when it releases on the 5th. And I actually met Ashley when I was speaking in Fresno, California back in February. And she is just this amazing human, as are all the incredible humans that I've met over the past several years. And so I just can't wait to share her with you. Um, and I can't wait for you to, to connect with her. So stay tuned for that. We've got two times a week the dance infused workout sessions going on in the podcast, Facebook community, wellness Wednesday chats, um, and who knows what else to come in there. So stay tuned. There will be, um, in June, the beginning of June, June 1st, there will be a calendar in the Facebook community. So you have access to all, um, of the dates and times of things that are up and coming. And I will continuously update that if there are any new additions to, to the calendar for June. So if you are not in the podcast, Facebook community, I highly suggest that you come over and join us there. The link is in the show notes and then also come check us out on, uh, YouTube because you can see me waving to you right now and just, so super happy that I get to do this um, for a living and to, you know, to share with you um, what lights me up, what has helped me to, to support my own health and wellness. And so I want to give that back to you too. So thank you again so much for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day if you are listening on the day that this releases and a wonderful week ahead. And we will chat later. All right, my friend, before I let you go, I just want to thank you so much for being a loyal listener and tuning in. And if this is your first time, then thank you so much for tuning in. And I want to just ask you, if you could, out of the kindness of your heart, go ahead and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It would mean the absolute world to me. In doing so, this is going to allow my podcast to be pushed out to more listeners like you who want to and need to hear this information. It is my absolute dream, my goal to impact so, so many more women in the future and you will make this dream a reality, this goal possible for me if you just take the next 30 seconds to go leave me a rating and review. I would be so incredibly grateful and your kind words, your support of the podcast would mean the absolute world to me and to all of the future listeners who get to read your your review. So I thank you so much in advance for supporting this podcast in this additional way. I appreciate you and I'm sending all my love to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with a friend. It is my mission to support as many women as possible and together we can make that a reality. I am honored to be on this journey together. Until next time, I love you. I'm always here for you and I'll talk to you soon.